Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the official Succession podcast from HBO and Pineapple Street Studios. This is a special finale episode. eldest son. I love all three of you pricks, but what do I get from you chumps but chump change? Fucking chump change. Do you think that stealing is what good people do? What? I was only stealing so I could win. You bust them here, guns in hand, and now you find they've turned to fucking sausages. I have you beat, you morons. Today we'll spend the entire episode with two of the main minds behind Succession, Jesse Armstrong and Frank Rich. People doing the right thing for the wrong reason or the wrong thing for the right reason is the meat and drink of the show. There are certain things, jealousy, thwarted love of a parent, relationship with a sibling, those are universal. We'll get into some of the most intense moments in episode nine and pull back the curtain on life in the writer's room. Okay, here are the guests you've been waiting for. Jesse is the creator and executive producer of Succession. Frank Rich is executive producer of the show. They work together on the HBO comedy Veep, which this is not very much like, but kind of like at the same time. Before that, Jesse mostly worked in television and film in the UK. Frank was previously a theater critic and op-ed writer for the New York Times and New York Magazine. Welcome to you both. Thanks for being here. Not at all. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. I I appreciate you being here. This is uh, congratulations on another successful season with a hell of a finale. It was it was it was a lot more emotional than I thought it would be. Um, We'll get in the specifics of episode nine later. But first, I want you to take us into the writer's room, Jesse. If we could look at your virtual whiteboard, what we have seen going on during season three, what was the narrative arc i guess well i can tell you what the actual in the in the actual writer's room you would have seen a big three meter by three meter kind of panel with all the characters names on them and a bunch of the key plots and uh, episode by episode it gridded out kind of what would happen which we stuck to a little bit but deviated from hugely in terms of like the, the what we were trying to do like i i'm i'm just really sort of bad at recapitulating the show i just feel like what did in an annoying way, say, well, what did you think the, th- the themes were? Because I, I feel oh, like the, I... the best part, the, you know, we do all this work on this show. Okay, you just said you 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 stuck to, but then you didn't. You deviated from. Which yeah. one was it? What? How was that? What? Give me an example. Hmm. I don't want to. Okay. All right. You don't have to. <laughs> I have this thing. Like I feel like I feel like the show. You know, we we work away on it and then present it to the world. And I love the the way that people engage with it and. Um, enjoy it, and I and I don't. I I want it to feel like a complete thing, and it's dumb because I know that when I love a piece of work, it's a, if it's a. You film want to know how or, it's made, all right? Well, all right. I, I feel like I do. I feel like it's kind of invulnerable that it doesn't matter that you know. Oh, they shot that like that because this guy was ill that day, and that's why they did that. But I kind of feel like I don't like saying that stuff about our show because I want it to feel real. 
like a whole piece. Like this is the toxic dysfunctional cake I'm serving you. Just fucking enjoy it. Right. Is that correct? <laughs> that's that's cor- exactly my attitude. Well, as a San Francisco liberal lesbian, I want to know what went into the cake. So I'm going to go to Frank first. What is the big thing on on your mind story-wise? What did you think the story was for the season? Well, because I was there for uh, chunks of the writer's room, I sort of knew it. And I think, you know, what Jesse just said is, is important to remember. It really evolves. And so, yes all around this room and they keep growing, you know, uh, like, you know, crazy, like weeds, these whiteboards and white sheets and these grids which cross uh, the characters with the episodes and sometimes also with sub-stories within the story. But the fact is, it's it's a living organism. It's about a family and the decision was made, possibly at the get-go, Jesse can correct me, to pick up right after the previous season ended. So we had these characters suspended in a kind of limbo after the press conference, after Kendall's press conference. So what do they do now? What do they want to do now? And we know their priorities include business, power, fucking over each other, and and the whole family dynamic uh, and their needs even as a family and as human beings. But that's what gives the story. It's not the story is then imposed on the people. And, and, And I think this season in particular, you see that because... The actual story is pretty simple. I mean, it's about a fight to, for the, the corporation and who's on which side. And that's that's the easy part. Uh, but it evolves a lot of the characters. So, so Jesse, one of the things I did notice this season is until the last episodes when they moved to Italy where it's bright and open uh, was sort of suffocation. Like the suffocating tightness of the rooms the bedrooms that they were in, the, the cheap hotel rooms, or where I've been a million times covering stories like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because there was a lot of like, everyone was pushed down in some fashion, especially Kendall. Yeah, I think that's one of those things that evolves and you don't notice it till you're in the edit or even seen the whole season. So uh, were we aware that it might be a claustrophobic season or an internal season? I don't know. We may it may have occurred to us at the as we looked at the episodes on the wall before we all broke off and we started production. But it, it, it's not the sort of thing where I mean that would be impossible for me to be like, hey, let's do a season which is like a box and then it opens in, in the last two. It's that's not a useful thought for a writer. I think it's one of those things which maybe evolved and then is fascinating and and so yeah, that's how that feels. Yeah, what was it? one of the things that I found interesting is I can't remember who told me this. They were talking about why rich people want to go to space or New Zealand or wherever the hell they want to escape or these like cashmere rooms um, that they end up in um, that they're just everything feels like cashmere, essentially. But um, was because a lot of times they said a lot of their worlds become smaller and smaller and smaller as they move through the world, as they get richer and richer and more powerful. And therefore, they have to create these spaces that are antiseptic in some fashion um, so that you really can see what's going on emotionally between these guys. I know that seems like a crazy thing, but in, in, in keeping them so tightly together, it, it sort of ups the tension. And I'm not sure if that was planned or it just is what happens when you have a family that's thrown together in such a, in tight spaces. One thing that is, uh, true you know you know a lot of the uh, there's a bunch of playwrights on the show there's a bunch of tv writers and a bunch of sitcom people comedy works better in a small room you know you get better stuff 
from that um, those interactions. So I think one thing that we are all aware of is if we get them in this room, it's probably going to be fun. And so that, that's a really dumb, basic observation, but it but it helps. You know, people with those physical constraints, whether they're private jets or at the back of a um, shareholders meeting or a kid's bedroom, that's something that we're not unaware of. Okay, so uh, it's pretty simple. Let's gang up on Dad and take him down. Jesus, let me shut the door first. So talk, Frank, about the family dynamics. Obviously, this, that's the, the show's about just a family, right? Just It depends on what the family happens to be, whether you're the Sopranos or you're the, the Roys or whoever. Talk a little bit about the conception of the, this particular family in in the wider world. Because they're, you know, one of, person when I was leaving today were like, I don't know how those writers do it. They're such awful people. How can they spend that much time with those characters in that way? Well, well, they are awful people, and certainly what they've done to the world or, or trying to do the world uh, is uh, uh, malevolent. However, in it, without being highfalutin about it, the fact is if you have a family that has an enormous amount of power uh, and there's someone at the top of the family, the patriarch, usually there's going to be a succession battle. And so, uh, it's you know, when I look at Brian Cox, you know, as, as Logan – he, he was, first of all, a great King Lear uh, once upon a time on stage. But there, and, and we're not in the high flutin' way saying we're doing Lear or anything of the kind. But it's really a classic dramatic situation. It runs through all of uh, theatrical history, you know, to long day's journey into night. I mean, it really, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trope of drama in any medium. But the fact is, if, there's, if, if they're real people and how they're created by the writers and the actors, uh, they... There are certain basic things about human nature that you, even if you don't want to think that you're Kendall or Logan or Shiv or whomever, there are certain things, jealousy, love, thwarted love, thwarted love of a parent, relationship with a sibling, those are universal. And uh, the only way you, you can feel them from a show like ours is if the characters are very specific so that those emotions and relationships are real. A hug would have been nice. Uh, thanks for the donuts. You know, and I think they got enough shots of me through the window. So. No, no, no. No shots. For the hug. Oh, yeah, sure. Captain Cuddles. Um, so, Jesse, Rebecca Mead wrote a great piece about you in The New Yorker. I read that uh, you have each writer start the day by telling the room about a mundane details of their life. Um, is that right? Uh, what does that do? <laughs> Well, to, uh, yeah, it may, maybe it feels more firing squad than it's meant to. It's I, I, in my imagination. I wasn't we get, thinking we, that, but thank you for bringing that metaphor. Uh, and we get to the room and we chat about how we're doing. And I guess it maybe I'm I'm gossipy and inquisitive and nosy. And so I guess what's meant to be a friendly in <laughs> a friendly inquiry where we share what we've been up to the night before has maybe become a ritualized display of our um activities mm-hmm. <laughs> and frank do, do well, you- <laughs> I, I've, I've been there for them and participated uh in some of them um uh often it's just like the babysitter was late or the the the, the meal i was going to make fell apart or was overcooked or yeah i fell asleep watching this movie or tv show we did have passing through in one season um, a writer who was actually not writing on the show, but a writer who was was in the room and helping us 
who had this incredibly starry nightlife. He was every, yeah. <laughs> every and so it would always be, oh, I was backstage with, with this rock star, or this comedian. Yeah, and or, Ben and Dale <laughs> said to me, <laughs> and, and we all felt uh, kind of humiliated and chagrined. You don't live those lives. I'm all about the chickpeas. Mainly I'm just interested in what people had for dinner uh, with, a, with a side order of what shows they've been watching. But basically, <laughs> I'm just interested in what they've eaten. Okay. Anything particularly interesting that they eat? Well, no, I'm interested if it's good, bad, where they've been, what they're cooking. I'm, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm just quite food focused. I shall have a Cuba Libre and a club sandwich, please. Oh, okay. Well, let me uh, grab a couple of kids' menus and I'll be right back. Service here is weird and slow and fucking my dad. I read you think a good insult should say as much about the person giving as it does about the target. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I guess it's just true for all. You know, we, there's a lot of comedy writers in the room. The, the show is a drama, I would say. I don't know if that's true, but it has a lot of bits, funny bits in it too. And I guess the reason why it still is a drama although this is true of a good sitcom too is that there shouldn't there should not be any lines which are single transferable jokes right they should all be expressive of character and they shouldn't all be zingers the people should be doing crap jokes and good jokes and jokes which have the correct frame of reference so that they can only come out of their mouth and you know what that you know some of the show I'm proud of is ornately written and drawn but oftentimes it it can be a a a monosyllabic response can be the appropriate and most funny response in any situation so it's just that that we you know even though we love the jokes they should never we should it should never be how can we get this in or or if x can't say that maybe we give it to y that's that's a telltale sign that something's gone way wrong angie has made it easier than ever to hire high quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros browse homeowner reviews and even book a service instantly Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I like when Jerry said, this isn't, this isn't the kind, the FBI that you can say, fuck off. I thought that was, <laughs> it wasn't an insult, but it was sort of an insult when he tried to do his fuck you thing, which I thought was excellent. And because I wasn't expecting her to do that. The FBI is downstairs. What? Yeah. Tell them to fuck off. Yeah, these are the ones who don't fuck off. This is a search warrant. Exactly, right? It's those bits where you're like, yeah, that's what they would say. That's so satisfying for an audience and if on top of that it has some verbal felicity or it nails something or is a good metaphor then that's cherry on the cake situation 
You have not just T-Rays, but playwrights. I think that is something that's very clear. Um, you can, it feels at some times like that. Do you, is that a conscious choice or why, why did you split? And it's also half British and half American. What were you trying to do there with the mix? Because obviously a writer's room mix is critically important. Yeah, I've not worked, well, I actually worked with a couple of playwrights before. I think what was particularly um, enjoyable for me is, you know, TV and movie industry is brilliant and I've loved my life and career in it. But there's, it's it's pretty, it can be quite, well, as well as being rewarding, it can be quite tough. Notes and the interaction with people in positions of power can grind people down. And come, some people become resentful, some people become compliant and Theatre, I'm sure it has its frustrations, but people are, it is a tradition of huge respect for the writer. And I like the way they carry themselves creatively, playwrights, they have, they take themselves seriously. And I hope all our, all the writers take themselves seriously, but that comes very naturally to playwrights and having that demeanour more than a, a, any technical things. I like that quality in playwrights. So newspaper reporters like Frank really messed that up, right? No, <laughs> no teasing. Um, is that important uh, that having someone like Frank, a news, you know, someone who's been news oriented? News oriented, I guess. The, the yeah, it, it, it is, and Frank can speak to this. I guess you, you mentioned, you know, I'm I'm British, as you can tell. The room is sort of fifty fifty. We're writing a show which is, although it has, you know, the international rich have a intercontinental air to them, and and so we're, we're somewhat insulated from having to be like, you know, writing Roseanne. However, it is a New York show. Some of us are New Yorkers, but a lot of us aren't, and I'm really keen for us to get New York right, and so as well as the many other things that Frank brings to the show, it's great to have a taste test of like, that's wrong, that they wouldn't go to that restaurant. This is a bit off. So, you know, um, it's diminishing of Frank's role on the show to have him down as restaurant consultant. But, he, he, you know, that that's one of the <laughs> many not? things that we need to get Come right. <laughs> so, Frank, what is the most New York thing about it? You know, it's funny. I don't. Th- it is a New York show, of course, and but I and and we do try to get the New York things right uh, and discuss them. Um, but to me, the ambience of the show is is international. I don't mean in some. Uh, I mean it. I mean it in the sense that it's in this. It's the corridors of vast money uh, and power, and that and that's why you know. Their homes look like they could be four-season hotel rooms. And by the way, I also add, I'm not a consultant on wealth. We have a wealth consultant because that's not a world I inhabit. But it could be anywhere. It could be Abu Dhabi. It could be London. It could be New York. And so it's that kind of high above uh, the matting crowd atmosphere that isn't particularly New York. Like, look at – I don't think it's – giving away the secret to say that we shot some of, of it at Hudson Yards. Uh, mm-hmm. We used it for yes. offices and for residents, for Kendall. Um, that kind of faceless monument to overdevelopment, wealth, power could be in London. Could you know, Or could even be, at Lake Como. It was entirely uncharming, even though it's beautiful there. He could care less. Like, about, like, and they don't the care. And they don't care where they are. And you feel... Yeah. Except really in the first season where you sort of see Stewie and, and Kendall and the kids at various coffee shops and so on, mm-hmm. basically they're not engaging in New York if it's, if it's no, below 34. No, they're just going from car to building, yeah. to comfortable building, which is interesting. Let's get into the last episode now, and we'll start at the end. Shiv, Kendall, and Roman race to Logan's villa, thinking they can veto his sale of the company because of an arrangement their mom, Caroline, made for them. Oh, fuck. 
I do think that even though this literally makes me want to vomit and I want to kill you both every day and it's all going to end horribly, I do think that we puke could make a pretty good team. So how do we feel about killing Dad? Pass me the fucking shotgun. Okay. Rome, you in? Okay. Fuck. Okay. When they get there, their mom is on the phone with Logan, betraying them, as usual. But then Tom shows up, and it seems he sold them out to Logan, too. Jesse, Frank, is this coup de grace by Tom something you are always going for? It was there. Yeah, it was, you know, we do the writer's room. We do like four weeks at the beginning where we talk about everything and how the show might break down. And then we then we break each each episode, you know, taking a week or so on each episode. And uh, after that initial four weeks, I like to have pretty much where we're going. And we were always heading there. And and Frank? Yeah, I mean, I was in the room and we discussed it and it was that there was much talk about how to stage it. When he's revealed as the new power, if you will, who's there? Where does it happen in the scene? Who else is in the room? A lot of, a lot of what happened around it hadn't been choreographed yet, but we knew he'd sort of be the last man standing among the siblings. And, you know, you were asking earlier about how things change and what's set uh, and not set. One small example um, that to me I find very powerful in watching the scene over and over again involves uh, Carolyn in the last scene. Originally, um, till quite late in the process, right, Jesse, with like several days before we shot it, Carolyn was going to be physically in the room, uh, fucking them over. And instead, it became a, uh, you know, an iPhone call. And I think something, it's the same action, it's the same story, but dramatically and emotionally, it p- plays in a much different and, 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 in my view, more sinister, sinister way. No, the iPhone was perfect. Oh, fuck. Mom, he got to you. Oh, seriously, Mom, already? What the fuck no, did you... I can't get into it, all right? I, I think everything will be fine. Mom, you just slit our throats. One of the things that you've done all season is Tom seems like a fool and is a lot smarter. And the kids seem a lot smarter, but I find them astonishingly stupid like in terms of how they behave i don't know if that's how you look at it but you know i've been around a lot of uh, kids that have been descending from their powerful parents in business and they're all they think they know a lot more uh than they do always or they think they're a lot more fear fearsome in some ways when i find them mostly not very sharp yeah, I guess it's very situational as well. The, you know, a genius today, 10 years down the line, suddenly the world has changed and their gut instincts no longer have that piquancy or, in, you know, you must you must have seen this mm-hmm. many times, right? People have their moment and, uh, and when that moment's gone, um, their brilliance can fade pretty terrifyingly quickly. So I don't look down on anyone in in the group. Uh, I, I feel like they're, but for the grace of God, go I about almost all of them. Uh, you know, they're, they're rich kids yeah. and they've had a very, they've had a very easy path. I don't think that means that they're incapable of becoming something else or using their intellects, which they have, but they have certain, you know, material uh, advantages and they have a bunch of situational kind of disadvantages 
too, you know, even though it's somewhat ludicrous to, to, to feel that about them, but they do, you know, and, that, and that's obviously one of the things that their dad can't help noticing. Yeah, I've always noticed that just because you were raised by wolves doesn't mean you're a wolf. <laughs> that's how I think of them. Here, here. So here's a clip a little bit earlier in this episode. It's Tom recruiting Greg, but he doesn't tell him exactly what it's about, which is very deft. I might need you as my attack dog. Right. Like um, a Greg Weiler. Mm. <laughs> Tom's attack dog. Nice. I mean, I have Bright Star Buffalo in my hip pocket. I'm kind of a big deal, so... You fucked yourself before Congress, Greg. That, that's your opinion. <laughs> I don't recall, Your Honor. I don't recall. You're a fucking joke, man. <laughs> uh, Greg does agree to go with Tom, and they share a hug to seal the deal. I don't think people... I think people like these two because they've got a true affection for each other, which is rare inside of the Roy family. Um, do, you, do, you, do you think that is the case, or is it a, a, a relationship of convenience, Jesse? Yeah, yeah I'm going to chuck that back on you. Because I think we, we, we need to have... We need. I, I can't. I discussed that in the writers' room, but to I wouldn't. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, I just don't want to say. <laughs> How do you? you do you, I you, think? I think it's a relationship of convenience. You don't think there's any? I guess that's the. I guess that to to try and answer more helpfully. I guess the w- w- one of the things I'm committed. to, who in the show is to attempt to show how complicated, well, not to show, but uh, to have a piece which is expressive of how complicated people are. And I, in my experience, rare, uh, rare, rarely is someone entirely f- frank and, uh, and, and transparent and rarely are they completely opaque and fake. I mean, you meet those people, people truly malevolent people who are simply liars, but, you know, it, false things that sound true, true things that sound false, um, people doing thing the right thing for the wrong reason or the wrong thing for the right reason is 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 the meat and drink of the show and it's the meat and drink of the show I guess because I feel like it's the meat and drink of life and trying to interpret that stuff is fascinating whether you're at a party or watching a TV show and I guess you know if I'd have one wish it would be a show that is feels as subtle as it feels when you're in your in a room in a room discussing with your partner what do you think's going on with that 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 pair of people and what do you think's going on over there and and that's why i and that's why i keep on in an annoying way resisting putting a name on it because i want everyone else to, at the party to be able to say i think they're going to go home together and i think they're doing cutting a deal and and because i we have i have this very privileged position to about the authorship i feel like if i say hey there there's nothing real here i just don't want to spoil people's fun and also legitimate uh, level of interpretation because you know I'm not inside Matthew and Nick's brains and they may be playing something ever so slightly subtly different from the script that you know Mm -hmm. the the scripts Mm -hmm. are pretty clear um, but 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 that doesn't mean that the other stuff can't be going on. How do you look at their relationship uh, Frank if you had to I, I, I sort of want to take. I want to take. I want to take Jesse's position. I'll, I'll point out the one other thing about uh, uh, the the two of them as actors. It's, it was clear from the you know they didn't know each other before. But when we made the pilot, there's the show is not improvised. It's written. But sometimes we you know allow actors to have a little fun in one take or another. And when in that moment in the baseball game, uh, the softball game at the end of the of. Uh, the pilot, when when they're razzing each other, or basically when Tom is razzing uh, Greg, they did an incredible improv that went on forever. We didn't obviously use it or use much of it, but but so there is there is a kind of interesting dynamic between 
them as actors. They're not deviating from the script, but it adds a layer that at a certain point is a, is a, a mystery of human behavior that's brought out by really good actors who they may not, you know, M- Matthew and Nick may not even be able to articulate themselves and maybe don't want to articulate themselves what's going on. But, you know, you see it in scenes, including in this season, there's just there's something going on. That scene at the at the as the light is fading at the wedding when when Tom says, you know, to Greg, you've got to I want you, you know, want you with me, there's a kind of an emotional quality to it. What am I gonna do with a soul anyways? Souls are boring. <laughs> Boo, souls. <laughs> of course. It could be played a whole other way by different actors with a different director, but it adds facets to it, and it's fun to explore them and, and not uh, overinterpret. Yeah, I felt spinoff possibly in prison. Um, so <laughs> it's really funny how they worry about prison throughout the season. Um, did you talk to a real prison consultant? Yeah, we did. Um, I think in particular John Brown, um, who wrote uh, episode four, for some reason, we were particularly interested around then. So, you know, you know, you probably know rich people get these consultants when they when they when they might be facing jail time. So he spoke to one and we read a ton about that whole world and it was hilarious to us. I mean, you you we we could have I would uh, there's a world in which I wish we could have got more of that stuff in. So according to Stephen, my prison consultant, this is, you know, this is kind of what the food is like inside. I'm in training. How's your omelet? That's not, yeah, I'm making some inroads. I'm like, actually glad you called, Tom. It's like Afghanistan. You have to start in the center there. You establish a base of operations, then you have to kind of move out okay. to secure more territory. I want to listen to a small part from one of the climactic scenes in the episode. Perfectly written, perfectly performed. I have to say it's Kendall breaking down. He's on the ground. Um, the, the One thing that was interesting was the ground itself, the chalkiness of it on mm. their clothes, which I thought was really interesting. They're next to a dumpster revealing his big secret to Roman and Shiv. I'm a killer. <sighs> Fuck you. Bullshit. Come on. At worst, you're, you're an irresponsibler. Okay? You're bigging yourself up. Yeah? I don't know, you guys. I don't know. I'm blown into a million pieces. Okay, we gotta get you out of here. What, where do we go? Oh, fucking Laird's called me back. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, just one minute. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, okay, take that call. Leave me here with all the feelings. Thank you. Yeah, they have a hard time with feelings, that gang. Um, haven't been taught them because they were <laughs> raised by wolves. Um, so can you talk about that scene, why you decided to bring them together in this emotional way, which then spurred them on to try to take action together incompetently, but nonetheless. Yeah. What can I say that's useful about that? Um, I, it was tough to write, you know, we do tons of drafts, but I remember particularly finishing it for the, what I think was the final time being in Florence in a restaurant at the, end of the night and thinking I'd finally done it and them playing Madonna and the waiters were dancing around and it feeling like, wow, I think this might be it. I think the show might be, I think this, the writing may be done. And that scene, the, the very final scene with, with Logan was obviously a big number to get right. And But that scene felt like the most complicated uh, emotionally to, to get right. Uh, a lot of it 
I hope is on the page and the people in the background and the certain amount of the physical location is is there. As you say, um, it was a great, although rather tough place to shoot. So can you talk about Sarah, uh, Kieran and Jeremy's performances here? Because they were particularly... Um... They're great, right? And uh, it's one of the great, it's one of the, the wonderful things of the show, the collaboration with all this incredible cast and, and that scene. That scene, it was tough. It was a, it was a very hot day and mm-hmm. they were very aware. We were all aware this was a centrepiece emotional turn and... Um, we didn't. We weren't getting it right. We weren't getting it right. There was, you know, they, there's a rather complicated emotional negotiation between the three of them, and when it wasn't happening, it's sort of all I can say is that it so wasn't happening. And then when it did happen, it it really happened, <laughs> and, and 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 there was a palpable relief. Who hasn't clipped the odd kid with a Porsche? Am I right? Yeah. I mean, it's like a rite of passage. I've killed a kid too. Big deal. Chip. You've killed the kid, right? Uh, yeah. Man, you fucked my wedding in so many ways. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, it was a, a table that needed all three legs to be working to stand up. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. am I right in remembering, Jesse, there was also, this is something that, that has nothing to do with the content of the scene, but I remember it being something of an issue for... Jeremy in particular about a boulder, whether he was going to sit on a boulder or not. We kept moving it around, thinking that that somehow that would stir stir the scene in a way. And ultimately, it, it, it probably wasn't what really did it. But that's the kind of detail you start to fasten on to to make things fall into place. He needed to look physically weird, and um, and we um, for a bunch of times he he didn't, and then it, something so small like that can trip up a whole scene because if he if he, if a sibling didn't approach him with the right level of solicitousness, then he couldn't respond in the right way, and then the next beat couldn't happen, and so you can get tripped up, and you're like, why the fuck is this scene not working? And it might be because someone's sitting on a wall rather than sitting on their haunches, um, uh, 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 and 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 so. Those those details and figuring them out can be can be quite terrifying when you've got you know um, ticking clock and also the possibility you know maybe I just didn't write the scene right maybe the beats aren't there maybe this can't happen maybe this is a recipe this cake is not going to rise and so when the cake does rise it's bloody mm, good mm, mm. yeah I thought it was a critical scene because I felt I thought of them as small kids like how yeah. adrift they were. Mm. How it drift and incapable. That's when I thought they were going to lose. I was like, oh, no, this three, these three ain't going to make it because that guy's going to kill them. So what next? What happens next? What happens next in the show? Yeah, yeah the plane crashes into them and they, no, I'm not <laughs> going to say what happens next. <laughs> well, family, family is so critically important, this show, and you've just blown them apart. <laughs> what's going to happen next in the show yeah i don't i mean i have an idea but it's a pitch you know i'll pitch it to the writer's room and i'll see how their faces look and we'll take it from there and yeah and often those impulses stay i always knew like like we were saying that we probably would pick up right 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 tight against the end of the action of last season and um it'll be fun to see if my my um intuition survives the piercing intellect of my fellow writers excellent Jesse Armstrong, Frank Rich, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Karen. Jesse Armstrong is the creator and Frank Rich, the executive producer of Succession.
This is the official podcast of HBO series Succession, and it's a production of HBO and Pineapple Street Studio. It's hosted by Kara Swisher. Our executive producers are Gabrielle Lewis, Barry Finkel, Max Linsky, and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our senior producer of the show is Nick White, and Darby Maloney is our editor. This episode was produced by Michael Catano and me, Shaka Mali, and engineered by Michael Catano. Production music is courtesy of HBO. Go on! Fuck off! Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show, like Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart. Hack Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max.